Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. For the first time in the history of the U.S., a former president has been indicted. As NPR's Andrea Bernstein reports, the case stems from a series of events precipitated by a payment made to silence an adult film star in the waning days of the 2016 campaign. The man who made the hush money payment, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty in 2018 of violating campaign finance laws at the direction of Donald Trump. Now the man for whose benefit the money was paid, Donald Trump, faces charges in New York criminal court and will have to appear before a judge to declare his plea. In a statement, Cohen said, quote, Accountability matters, and I stand by my testimony and the evidence I have provided to the Manhattan DA. The indictment itself won't be unsealed until Trump's court appearance. Andrea Bernstein, NPR News, New York. And on Capitol Hill, reaction from Republicans was swift. NPR's Deirdre Walsh has more. They immediately attacked the prosecutor and the process as political. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy blasted the Manhattan DA, tweeting that Alvin Bragg, quote, irreparably damaged our country in an attempt to interfere in our presidential election. He vowed the House would hold Bragg to account. Other Republican lawmakers dismissed the indictment, calling it an abuse of power, but few are talking specifically about Trump's behavior in terms of the hush money payments to an adult film star. NPR's Deirdre Walsh. Democrats say the indictment shows no one's above the law. President Biden will be visiting Rolling Fork, Mississippi today after the region was hit by a catastrophic tornado that killed 21 people last week. Maya Miller of Gulf States Newsroom has more. President Biden issued an emergency declaration on Sunday. He will be in Mississippi surveying the damage and visiting with officials and community members to discuss cleanup efforts. The storms damaged at least 1,900 homes in the state and nearly leveled Rolling Fork, leaving residents without power or clean water. Shelters have opened across the affected areas and mobile hospital clinics have been deployed to provide medical care. Response teams are also on the ground preparing hot meals and collecting donations for families. Officials have not yet released a timeline for when residents can hope to begin rebuilding. For NPR News, I'm Maya Miller in Jackson. Finland will join NATO after Turkey formally signed off on its entry into the military alliance. The Turkish parliament cast the last vote needed for Finland's inclusion, which means the alliance's border with Russia will now double. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Finland will join the alliance in a few days. It's a blow for Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has tried to block NATO's eastward expansion. Turkey's also been blocking Sweden's NATO bid, claiming it tolerates militants that Turkey says are terrorists. U.S. futures contracts are trading in mixed territory at this hour. You're listening to NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. Massachusetts lawmakers are reacting to the indictment of former President Donald Trump. Congresswoman Lori Trahan says she does not think anyone deserves special treatment if they broke the law, and she's encouraging her colleagues to avoid interfering in the case. Congressman Jim McGovern says Trump's indictment is not political. Both politicians say the former president deserves the chance to defend himself in court. We're getting a better sense of the proposals that the Massachusetts House will include in its version of the state budget. WBUR Steve Brown reports on what we know so far about the spending package that will be released soon. House Speaker Ron Mariano told the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce the House will include Governor Healy's initiative for free community college for residents over the age of 25 who do not already have a college degree. He says the House budget will also permanently fund free school meals for all public school students in the state. 
This is one of the many su federally supported initiatives that was implemented during the pandemic whose future was jeopardized when the federal government ended the program. The state temporarily picked up the cost of school meals when federal pandemic money ran out. Mariano wants Massachusetts to become the fifth state in the nation to permanently fund school meals. The House begins debate on the state budget at the end of April. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Steve Brown. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts says it will continue covering the cost of preventative health care services, and that's despite a federal ruling striking down the Affordable Care Act provision that requires insurers to do so. Some health experts worry the decision could make services such as cancer screenings and vaccines unaffordable. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts is encouraging members to seek out those types of preventative care. The Muslim community in Cambridge will come together to celebrate Ramadan tonight. They'll break fast at a tent outside the Cambridge Public Library. Asen Kokoman is with the Boston Youth Dialogue and Advocacy Group, which is organizing the event. She says it was a success last year. I think it reminded everyone of the past events that happened before COVID when people would get together and have Easter dinners together with their families or back in their home countries. And just getting to hear from people that this was a reminder of all of those great moments, of those great cherished moments with their family and loved ones. She says people from all religions and cultures are welcome. The time is seven minutes past seven. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston University's Elie Wiesel Center for Jewish Studies, presenting the acclaimed novelist Marilyn Robinson, April 11th at 6.30 p.m. in the Photonics Building. Admission is free. Reservations are required at robinsonbu.eventbrite.com. In sports, Celtics beat the Bucks 140-99. to In Milwaukee last night, the Bruins topped the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime. Their final score at the Garden, 2-1. to Red Sox lost their season opener at Fenway yesterday. They fell to the Baltimore Orioles 10-9. In our weather forecast, cloudy today, some showers this afternoon, highs around 50 today. Tonight we'll see rain with lows in the 30s. Tomorrow, scattered showers but dry by the end of the day. Temperatures in the 60s tomorrow and for Sunday, sunshine with highs in the 40s. 35 degrees right now in Boston. WBUR supporters include Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. More information is available online at Carnegie.org. It's Layla Faldil from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. You can call 800 909 
800-242-8287. That's the phone number. The website where you can donate is WBUR.org. But, but donate as soon as you can. You do give us the tools to help. You give us the tools to bring information forward that's valuable to you. You know it's valuable, so we're asking you to please do your part today and make a pledge. And today's a great day. It's our spring fundraiser. It's the last day, though, of this fundraiser that you can get your name entered in a sweepstakes to win a trip anywhere. You design the trip. Shorts Travel will help you. You win this trip. You make it for you when you make a pledge to WBUR and get your name entered in that sweepstakes. I'm Deborah Becker, and with me in the studio this morning is Amory Sievertson. Good morning. Good morning, Deb. And you know, our colleague Rupa Shinoy recently sat down with Margaret Lowe, our CEO, uh, to talk about some of the impact around the, the recent work that you've heard from WBUR. We just won an award for a show we produced about a little-known epidemic, survivors of domestic violence who are living with traumatic brain injury. We talk all the time about this issue with football players, right? But almost never about the estimated tens of millions of women who are walking around with brain injuries from abusive partners. And many of them actually have no idea what's causing things like lapses in memory, difficulty concentrating problems with balance or vision or fatigue until they finally, if they finally do, get diagnosed. So the show I'm talking about profiled a woman named Freya Doe, and we actually used a pseudonym to protect her safety. In any case, she shared her story of the abuse she suffered from the beginning of her first marriage when she was just 18 years old. And then, many years later, she finally understood what had caused her issues. Let's listen. And having an answer to what was going on with me was such a relief and it also allowed me to realize that what happened to me was not a shameful thing. The shame did not belong on me. The shame belonged on him. We heard from so many listeners after the show. One woman who wrote explained how she too was in an abusive marriage and went on to say this. Yet even with professional help, traumatic brain injury was never a consideration in my diagnoses and treatments. This show helped me to finally end the ongoing questions of self-doubt and blame that have haunted me for 65 years. Truth, this listener wrote, is always better late than never. Please accept my profound thanks for shining the light on this invisible epidemic. Getting a note like that, realizing that our reporting this story helped one person make sense of her whole life, it's pretty extraordinary. Absolutely. And you know, the late great journalist and writer Joan Didion said, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And that's why BUR is here, to help make sense of the world, to help us understand life experiences beyond our own. Stories do that. I mean, they tether us together and remind us of what we have in common and really of our own humanity. That's WBUR CEO Margaret Lowe talking really about how how journalism connects us and really reminds us of our our humanity, our similarities and our differences, and how journalism can make a difference. If you realize this, then please make a pledge to WBUR during our spring fun drive, which is today. Today, and do it today, because today is your last chance to get entered into that sweepstakes to win a trip to anywhere in the world, up to $10,000, thanks to Shorts Travel. You can also get yourself a year's subscription to The New Yorker as our thanks for a gift of $15 a month. 
1-800-909-9287 is the number, or go to WBUR.org. We're only here because of your financial support. We're asking you to continue to support us today, and thanks. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Salem State University School of Graduate Studies. Advance your career and become a leader in your profession. SalemState.edu slash graduate. And Zevin Asset Management, building socially responsible investment portfolios that help create a healthy planet and just society. Learn how to invest sustainably at Zevin.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Sasha Pfeiffer in Washington, D.C. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted in New York. A grand jury spent months investigating hush money payments. It's the first time a former U.S. president faces criminal charges. NPR's Ilya Meritz covers Trump legal matters. Ilya, we've been, uh, what, on indictment watch for about a couple of weeks now. So what do we know and how do we know it? We know the grand jury has 23 members, all New Yorkers, and after reviewing the evidence presented to them, at least 12 out of those 23, a majority, found there was reasonable cause to believe that Donald Trump committed a crime. It is the first time a former president has ever been indicted. That indictment is now under seal. That much we know. Now, the prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, has acknowledged the indictment's existence. He said he contacted Trump's legal team to arrange for the former president to surrender to authorities. Trump himself has called the move political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. That's a quote. His lawyers also had a statement. They said he did not commit any crime. We will vigorously fight this political prosecution. All right. Now, so when will we know what charges have been brought against uh, Donald Trump? Usually an indictment is unsealed on the day of a defendant's arraignment. So that would be when Trump comes in and is fingerprinted and enters a plea. And we expect that to happen soon. One of the challenges of covering any grand jury process is that it is secret by design. Now, we do know the grand jury was hearing witnesses like Stormy Daniels, the adult film actress, and Michael Cohen, the former Trump fixer who went to jail over hush money payments he made to purchase and prevent the publication of Stormy Daniels' story of having had an affair with Trump. That is a story Trump denies. Cohen made those payments just days before the 2016 election. But until we read that indictment, We don't know the specific charges Trump will have to defend himself against. And that's a good reason to treat headlines and hot takes with a little bit of skepticism. Sure. Now, you followed Trump's legal travails for a long time. What are your thoughts on on what's happening? If it comes down to hush money paid to a porn actress, then in some sense, it's old news and a familiar fact pattern. We know that Michael Cohen wanted to block the publication of a story that could damage Trump's image during the 2016 presidential campaign. What's new and concerning here is everything surrounding the indictment. Here is an ex-president who is not afraid to use his words to attack prosecutors. He was doing it last night on social media. And by constantly assailing the justice system as rigged and corrupt, he's really telling his followers that they shouldn't trust institutions. Now, as we know, Trump is also running for president. And at his recent campaign rally in Texas, he really aligned himself with the cause of the January 6th rioters. So this is a test of the system. It is happening in state court here in Donald Trump's hometown, New York City. The DA Alvin Bragg has not been on the job for long, but he does have some experience to draw on. He convicted two Trump business entities of tax fraud last year. I was in the courtroom. I saw him sitting there at the back watching the trial. How do you prepare to try a president, though? That's something that's never happened before. Right. It's never happened before. So what's uh, what's going to happen next? D.A. Bragg has said many times that the justice system should treat an ex-president like any other defendant. I think that means we should expect Trump to be fingerprinted and photographed and then enter a plea. 
to pull this off though, just the, the logistical challenge, the planning challenge, it's going to involve lawyers, cops, the secret service, the ex-president himself. Trump is not known for hiding from cameras and I am certain there will be a lot of cameras there. Ilya Meritz from NPR, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Now let's turn to Matthew Galuzzo. He's a former prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office. Matthew, good morning. Good morning. If you had been in a position to advise the prosecutors who brought this case, and, and maybe you were, would you have recommended they do this? Well, I most certainly was not. I'll start by saying that. But if I had been, um, listen, I don't know what exactly the evidence is in this case against Mr. Trump, but if the evidence of a crime was there, then I think the rule of law has to prevail, and you shouldn't be afraid to prosecute somebody just because of their political position. Although this case obviously has legal implications, it also has enormous political implications. You know, among them, it could help Trump politically, which may not be what prosecutors wanted. It could fire up his supporters. How much, if at all, do prosecutors take factors like that into account when deciding whether to bring charges? Well, they probably do, although they probably wouldn't admit it. I have to imagine that these sort of political considerations are you know, at the forefront of their minds when they bring a case like this. But at the same time, you know, they're duty-bound to um, prosecute crimes when they see them and when the evidence is there. And so hopefully that's the reason why they're doing it. Well, you say duty-bound, but the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, who brought the indictment, has previously declined to bring charges against the former president. I mean, maybe he just didn't feel they were strong enough. But from what you can tell, why not bring charges forward in other cases, but bring them forward with this one? Well, presumably it comes down to the, the details of the evidence. That in this case, he feels like the evidence supports the prosecution. In the other case, it didn't. Uh, hopefully that's the reason why, and it's not something bigger than that. It's not just you know, what, uh, what's on the wind politically, but hopefully it has to do with the details of the evidence. Trump has called the indictment politically motivated. He says, as he said many times before, that this is a witch hunt. He says it could backfire politically. I'm wondering, though, if you also could potentially see the indictment backfiring legally. And I'm thinking that I read this morning, among other things, that this is New York state law, but it involves federal campaign finance law. So is there a chance that legally it ends up weak and it could fall apart for legal reasons? Yeah, the big question I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers have looking at this indictment is whether or not it's really legally possible under New York state law and under the law we think he's being charged with, this uh, falsification of business records, felony, to uh, prosecute somebody for an intent to commit a federal crime in state court. And the idea being that he falsified business records to uh, violate federal campaign finance laws. There's obviously there's been no precedent for that. There's not a whole lot of precedent for charging somebody with falsifying business records to uh, violate a federal law. But I'm going to give the prosecutors the benefit of the doubt and assume that they've done their homework on this subject. Uh, they feel like they're on strong footing as far as that being legally possible. But there's no question that it's going to be heavily debated between the prosecutor and the defense attorney throughout the course of this of this case. Right. They would certainly have scrutinized the, the legal aspects of it very closely yeah, before so. making that move. Sure. To you, do you believe that the case on its merits, and acknowledging here that we don't quite know all the details, do you think it's likely to secure a conviction? Do you feel that you know enough about it to to gauge that? Well, you're it's a little bit like asking me if I like a movie based on having watched the trailer, because I really <laughs> don't don't know what all the evidence is, and I, I'm not sure what was said behind the closed doors of the grand jury and what these witnesses know. So it's tough for me to handicap it. I'll say one thing. A lot of people are you know, looking at this purely from the perspective of what is the evidence and, and what are the potential problems with the witnesses. And 
and that's fine. But I think if you're really a knowledgeable trial lawyer, especially in Manhattan, and you understand the landscape, one thing you can't ignore is just the impact of the jury pool on this decision, because a case can be strong in Manhattan and weak in Staten Island, and certainly it can be strong in New York and weak in Georgia, uh, based upon the people who are deciding whether or not someone is guilty or innocent. I mean, reasonable people can disagree about evidence. But here in Manhattan, I mean, what kind of percentage of the vote did Donald Trump carry in the last presidential election? I mean, was it even double digits? And he is extremely unpopular here. He is possibly the most despised person on the island. And there are going to be potential jurors in this trial who are going to consider it their moral imperative to convict him if they have the opportunity. And, you know, so to get 12 people to acquit him at trial in Manhattan, I think, is actually kind of a tall order for the defense. So I think the possibility of conviction. I mean, listen, I don't know what the evidence is, but if I had to pick which side to be on and I had to win to save my life, I would probably choose to be on the prosecution side simply because the jury pool in my head is so incredibly against Donald Trump. Well, is that a case then to have the case moved out of Manhattan? Well, I think you're going to see that motion for sure. I mean, I can't imagine the defense attorneys aren't going to argue that it's impossible for him to get a fair trial in Manhattan, given, you know, this how much the local population despises them, how much they already know about the case, how much they've already read. You know, again, we are in some uncharted waters here. Does a former president have the right to transfer a venue based upon his electoral results and the place where he's being prosecuted? I don't know the answer to that question. It is, to me, a legitimate argument for his defense attorneys to make. Can he actually get a fair trial in Manhattan, or is every juror going to have already convicted him in their mind when they show up for jury duty? So I I don't know. And I don't know what the decision on that motion would be, but I imagine it's going to get made. I have a nuts and bolts question, because obviously we have a presidential campaign coming up. In terms of how long these can take to play out, when could we expect to see a trial start if it goes to trial? (laughs) You know, I feel like when I get asked questions about this case, I have to give like a two part answer. Like The one is what would normally happen? And then what I expect to happen here, (laughs) because it seems like this is not a normal case. I mean, you might say a year for somebody charged in a case like this between arraignment and trial. Uh, that, that would perhaps not be an unreasonable estimate, maybe. Uh, but you know, Donald Trump's strategy, I expect, is going to be to try to delay this as much as possible with every motion he can make, every pre-trial motion contesting venue, contesting the sufficiency of the evidence, contesting all sorts of things. And, you know, because for him, if he can push this thing back until after the election, then, you know, he can effectively win the trial that way. And so... I assume that's what he's going to attempt to do. So is it possible to delay a case two, three years if you're vigorously making all sorts of motions and appealing those decisions? Yeah, it could happen. And it's also likely it could settle? Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) I seriously doubt it. Because Uh, prosecutors wouldn't allow that or because Trump wouldn't be willing to do it? I I just can't imagine Trump taking a plea to anything. I mean, he's he's going to be charged with a bunch of felonies and probably a lot of misdemeanors. And I... You know, they're not going to offer him some sort of non-criminal violation to resolve the case. I mean, if you if you come at someone like this, you're expecting to you know, get a secure criminal conviction. And so they're not going to make him an offer that he would accept. And I think more than anything, he probably wants that public stage to uh, to, to play the victim, to, to have an audience. I, I just can't imagine that a deal could be reached between the parties. That's Matthew Galuzzo. He is a former prosecutor in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Thanks for talking this morning. Thank you.
This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include the Peabody Essex Museum, presenting Gu Wenda. United Nations opens April 1st. Plan your visit at PEM.org. And MathWorks, partnering with the National Society of Black Engineers to accelerate STEM education and careers. MathWorks.com slash NSBE. I'm Scott Simon. Your monthly contribution to WBUR says that you value journalism that keeps you informed. You value reporting that's rooted in your community. You value independent journalism as the foundation of our democracy. More than what your contribution says about you is what it can do. Your monthly contribution to WBUR makes the station's independent journalism possible. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And your contribution will say that you support your local public radio station. You support WBUR and you support our efforts to keep you informed about the world and about your own neighborhood. Make that pledge of support today during this spring fundraiser. I'm Deborah Becker and joining me in the studio this morning, Amory Sievertson. Good morning. Good morning, Deb. Happy Friday. I just stepped out of the studio for the first time and did you know there's a sun shining out there? (laughs) It's going to be a good day, especially because this is your last chance. This could be the day that you make a pledge to WBUR and it turns into a trip to anywhere in the world because that is the sweepstakes we have on the table right now. When you make your gift of $10 a month, $20 a month, $30 a month to WBUR, you will get entered to win that trip. So take a moment for yourself right now and maybe just think about where you would want to go. My name is Glenn from Tewksbury. The number one place on my bucket list is Iceland. I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say that the spot on top of my vacation bucket list right now is Rio de Janeiro. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. My number one bucket list destination is Australia. I would love to go there because my parents lived there when they were in their 20s, and I'd love to just walk in their footsteps and see the sights that they saw and see the old apartment that they lived in, just get to experience all the animals and the nature and the culture that is in Australia. Australia, Iceland, where would you like to go? Where would you like to go, Amory? I want to go to Thailand, Deb. Okay. I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to Italy. I want to go to Japan. Okay, whoa, where whoa, do whoa, I whoa, not want to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, you choose your trip because someone is going to win this. If you make a pledge to WBUR during this spring fundraiser, your name is entered in our sweepstakes to Decide where you want to go. Where, what's on your bucket list? What trip would you design? You can design it with Shorts Travel. We'll give you that voucher. Someone's going to win it, but you need to make your pledge by 7 o'clock tonight. Here's the way to do that. Call 800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org. You know, neither Deb nor I can win this trip, but we make a great plus one. We make an excellent <laughs> travel buddy. No fuss, just fun. one 800 909 9287 is the number to call or go to WBUR.org. And of course, when you make this pledge, you know, we hope that this is an extra incentive for you to do this today. But you know why WBUR matters to you. You've been hearing it all morning. You maybe hear it every single morning throughout the day listening to WBUR. We combat misinformation. We bring you the truth. And it does not come effortlessly. It takes a whole team here of reporters, producers, editors, 
directors, technical directors. It's it is impossible to comprehend the amount of work that goes into every minute of radio that you hear in the morning. And that takes your contribution to keep that coming. We only exist because of you. So make that pledge today. Get entered to win that sweepstakes, but do it to protect WBUR as a resource in your life. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know, on the one hand, we have so many more sources of information. Right now, we've got our phones and all kinds of streaming services and all kinds of sites that you can Google, but really, we we don't know what to trust, Mm -hmm. right? We don't know if this is the right information. And so that's why this is expensive. We have lots of people vetting the information to make sure that the news and the words that you hear on this radio station or read on our website are completely accurate. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of people. It's expensive. And so that's why during fund drives just like this one, we just ask you, do what you can, please, during this fundraiser and help us be your trusted source of news and information. And we're just reminding you to do it today so you can possibly win that trip to anywhere. Here's the number. It's 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And when you make that gift, you can also get a subscription to the New Yorker magazine for a full year. That's as our thanks of $15 a month. So pair two great sources of journalism and get entered to win that sweepstakes. So many reasons to do it. Do it now. 1-800-909-9287 WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from PBS with The Sun Queen. American Experience presents the story of scientist Maria Telkesh, who dedicated her career to harnessing the power of the sun. Premiering Tuesday at 9, 8 central on PBS. From Carla Itzkovich, whose gift, in memory of Moises Itzkovich, founder of the Moises Itzkovich Foundation, helps provide public radio news and information to communities around the world. From the Pew Charitable Trusts, sharing stories to illuminate data and trends that shape the world today through its podcast, After the Fact. Learn more at pewtrusts.org slash after the fact. And from the ECMC Foundation at ecmcfoundation.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted by a grand jury in Manhattan. He's the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges. They remain under seal, but the charges stem from hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential campaign. Trump is expected to appear in a New York courtroom next week. NPR's Dave Mistich says Trump is calling the indictment political persecution as he seeks the White House again in 2024. Trump shared videos of media coverage posted by his former deputy chief of staff for communications, Dan Scavino. The former president also reposted statements from congressional Republicans condemning Manhattan's district attorney who led the investigation. Another post he shared included a photo of a 2018 letter from Stormy Daniels denying she had a sexual relationship with Trump. Daniels later said she signed the letter under pressure. And Trump pointed to a question from a recent Quinnipiac poll, which asked what people thought was the motivation behind the investigation. 62% of overall respondents said they felt the case was mainly motivated by politics. Trump reposted a breakdown of those responses with the comment, so sad. Dave Mistich, NPR News. President Biden is heading to Mississippi this morning to get a look at some of the damage done by last week's EF4 tornado. 
This is NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. Massachusetts lawmakers say they want former President Donald Trump to have his day in court. Congresswoman Catherine Clark says this is not a time to take sides on the issues, but to allow the justice system to review the indictment that was returned yesterday. She says she hopes the case can go through the court proceedings without political interference. A pandemic-era rule protecting some tenants from eviction is set to expire today. The rule pauses eviction cases for those who have applied for state rental assistance. It was a tool to prevent homelessness during the pandemic. Local housing advocates want lawmakers to extend those protections through July of next year. A new program in Medford aims to help people in recovery from substance use disorders. The city's health department is starting a job readiness program with the Bridge Recovery Center and Mass Hire. The organizations will help with job opportunities, resume building, and interviewing skills. Elisa Lagambina is a community social worker in Medford. There is hope for those in recovery to better their lives, to feel supported, to feel connected. And there are opportunities, and we just want to empower people in recovery to access those. Lagambina hopes that other communities will adopt similar programs. The time is 7.34. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.com. In sports, the Bruins have locked up the President's Trophy for the best record in the NHL. That means they'll have home ice advantage through the playoffs. Last night, they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 2-1 to in overtime. The Bees will visit the Pittsburgh Penguins tomorrow. Celtics top the Bucks 140-99 to in Milwaukee. The Seas will be home to play the Utah Jazz tonight. And the Red Sox lost their season opener yesterday. They fell to the Baltimore Orioles 10-9, to the same two teams play again tomorrow. In our weather forecast, increasing clouds today, showers this afternoon, highs around 50 today. Tonight looks like it'll be rainy with temperatures going down into the 30s. Tomorrow, rain in the morning, but it should dry out later in the day tomorrow. Temperatures tomorrow getting up into the 60s and for Sunday, sunshine with highs in the 40s. It is 35 degrees in Boston. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Cy Sims Foundation, since 1985 supporting advances in science, education, and the arts towards a fairer, more just, and civil society. More information is available at CySimsFoundation.org. And from Jarl and Pamela Mohn, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Amy Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Sasha Pfeiffer in Washington, D.C. A prosecutor's office in New York says it is in touch with attorneys for former President Donald Trump to, quote, coordinate his surrender for an arraignment. Trump's under indictment in an investigation into hush money payments to an adult film star. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen made those payments. The reimbursement was then logged with Trump's businesses as a retainer for legal services. Falsifying business records would be a crime. Reaction in Congress was split along party lines, and both sides of the aisle noted the historic event. 
NPR congressional correspondent Deirdre Walsh joins us now to bring us some of those comments. Uh, Trump himself was signaling that uh, this could happen very soon, Deirdre. So how are Republicans on Capitol Hill reacting? They immediately attacked the prosecutor and the process as political. Both the House and Senate wrapped up business and members were traveling back to their districts yesterday when the news broke. But Republicans knew this could happen and they were ready to respond. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy blasted the Manhattan DA, tweeting that Alvin Bragg, quote, irreparably damaged our country in an attempt to interfere in our presidential election. He vowed the House would hold Bragg to account. Other Republican lawmakers dismissed the indictment, calling it an abuse of power. But few are talking specifically about Trump's behavior in terms of the hush money payments to an adult film star. What about Democrats? They say the indictment shows that no one is above the law. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement that Trump will be able to avail himself of the legal system and a jury, not politics, can determine his fate according to the facts and the law. The number two Senate Democrat, Dick Durbin, said any political violence or threats of violence cannot be tolerated. But privately, some Democrats I've talked to recently about the prospects of this indictment in this specific case involving hush money said they believe the DA was building a strong case, but they thought some of the other legal investigations, the ones involving January 6, Trump's handling of classified documents, and his attempt to interfere in Georgia's election in 2020, were probably stronger legal cases, but now they're stressing that justice should be applied equally, and they hope the president and his allies will just peacefully respect the system. What about potential Republican rivals to former President Trump for his uh, 2024 nomination? What are they saying? They're really rallying around the former president. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who himself is considering a 2024 bid, said on CNN last night in an interview that the indictment was an outrage. Pence said the case about a campaign finance issue should not have been brought by the prosecutor. And it appears to millions of Americans to be nothing more than a political prosecution that's driven by a prosecutor who literally ran for office on a pledge to indict the former president. If Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's expected to also jump in the 2024 primary, put out a statement that didn't mention Trump by name, but called the indictment un-American, and DeSantis said that Bragg was, quote, stretching the law to target a political opponent. All right, so there are all these Republicans who are rallying around a former president who is a Republican. What does this say about Trump's hold on the Republican Party? It again just shows he has immense influence. Polls show Trump as the front runner for the 2024 Republican nomination. Lawmakers and his own political rivals recognize the Republican base strongly backs Trump, and that base expects party leaders to rally around the former president. There's, there's a belief from Trump's allies that this legal action can actually activate his supporters and strengthen his position heading into the 2024 Republican primary. And some of his allies last night were just saying this helps pave the way for him to win the general election, too. That's NPR's Deirdre Walsh. Thanks a lot. Thank you. An American has been arrested in Russia. This time, it's a journalist. A correspondent with the Wall Street Journal's Moscow bureau, Evan Gershkovich, was detained by Russian security forces on suspicion of espionage. With us to talk about the case from Moscow is NPR's Russia correspondent, Charles Maines. Hi, Charles. Hi there. Tell us what happened. 
Yeah, at the time of his detention Wednesday evening, Evan Gerskovich uh, was on a reporting assignment in Ekaterinburg. This is the main city in Russia's Ural Mountains, you know, which is known as a fairly liberal and modern city, but but also an industrial center, particularly with military-related industries. And this seems to be the focus of the charge against Gerskovich, uh, whatever its merits. You know, Gerskovich, again, on assignment interviewing people, which is his job, uh, was arrested by security agents from the FSB. This is the successor agency to the Soviet KGB, while well, in a local restaurant. Uh, the FSB later issued a statement saying that Gerskovich uh, was suspected of spying in the interests of the American government on Russia's military industrial complex. Uh, he's since been brought back to Moscow and formally charged in a closed court hearing where Gerskovich was ordered held at least until the end of May uh, pending an investigation. What have Russian officials had to say about this arrest? Well, the Kremlin has clearly endorsed the FSB's actions. Uh, here's the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov. So here Peskov says we're not talking about suspicions, but someone who was caught red-handed. Uh, Russia's foreign ministry has also backed the arrest, and that's significant uh, because foreign, all foreign correspondents in Russia work with their authorization. Uh, the ministry's spokeswoman, Maria Zakharova, noted there had been a history of foreigners using their status as journalists as a cover for espionage. And yet we haven't seen an espionage case like this in decades. You know, you have to go back to the Cold War for a case of an American journalist charged with spying. And what has been the response from Gershkovich's employer, The Wall Street Journal? Well, the journalists vehemently denied the charges, and they're demanding Gershkovich's immediate release. Uh, they say their correspondents aren't spies, but they're to cover the story. Uh, in this case, the impact of the war in Ukraine on Russian society in, in all its facets. And that's also the message coming from the wider journalistic community. Reporting is not a crime. Uh, again, Gerskovich was accredited by the Russian government uh, to work and report in Russia. Charles, how many Western journalists are actually left in Russia? Well, not many. Uh, a lot of media outlets left, uh, initially because of laws passed in the wake of the Russian invasion that criminalized reporting that countered the official government narrative. Uh, but a small group of Western journalists have continued to report with what had appeared to be a degree of freedom. In fact, the Kremlin yesterday noted that even the Wall Street Journal, as an accredited media outlet, could continue reporting from Russia. And this makes this arrest all the more confusing and, you know, frankly, scary. You know, Gerskovich wasn't being accused of violating the government restrictions. We've been grappling with this past year. He's accused of espionage, of spying, and an even more serious charge that if he's convicted carries up to 20 years in prison. That's NPR's Charles Maines in Moscow. Thank you. Thank you. And the White House has issued a statement condemning the detention of Evan Gerskovich, quote, in the strongest terms, and it's called the targeting of Americans and journalists in Russia unacceptable. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping public radio advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Informed communities, essential for healthy democracy. KnightFoundation.org.
This is 90.9 WBUR. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this morning with Amory Sievertson, and we are here to take just a couple of minutes before we go back to the news to ask you to please make a pledge to WBUR during our spring fundraiser. You know, we've really been focused on covering this indictment out of New York of former President Trump. We will continue to cover this story for you, bringing you all the latest developments, the analysis, the reaction nationally, internationally, locally reaction. It's all here for you. We're asking you to consider that and make a pledge for this kind of news during this spring fundraiser. Here's the number to call. It's 1-800-909-9287. The website's WBUR.org. And keep in mind that you provide most of the money for this type of coverage to exist. Yeah, and you know that we're going to cover the news, but there's also the way that we cover it. It's thoughtful. It's calm. It's analytical. It allows you to think for yourself about what is happening in the world. There's a way that WBUR approaches the news journalism, storytelling that you don't find anywhere else. Um, Speaking of anywhere else, Hmm. would you like to be somewhere else right now? Would you perhaps like to win a trip to anywhere in the world at all? Well, you can. We have a sweepstakes on the table only for today. This is your last chance to to get in on this sweepstakes by making a call, making a contribution to WBUR. If you call tomorrow, no sweepstakes for you. No trip around the world for you. No sweepstakes. No sweepstakes for you. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or go to WBUR.org. My name is Ziva Solomon and I'm from Vineyard Haven. The best place I have ever traveled to is the Grand Tetons National Park in Wyoming. My name is Michael and I'm from Waltham. The best place I've ever traveled to is Venice. I'm Leah from Providence and the best place I've ever traveled is Reykjavik because it was such a fantastic city for a solo traveler. I spent my week visiting galleries, driving the Golden Circle, soaking in hot springs, and I still think about the Icelandic horses galloping alongside my car. It was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, and I'd love to go back. I'm sorry, are we supposed to talk now? I'm daydreaming about some of the best places I've ever... Galloping horses alongside our car. You can decide where you would like to go. Think about perhaps the best place you have ever traveled and maybe would like to return to because we have a sweepstakes going on during our spring fundraiser here at WBUR. And that sweepstakes, if you win, means you will decide where you would like to go and create your dream vacation. One lucky listener is going to get that, so why not give now and get your name in on that sweepstakes? Give for the journalism, and perhaps you'll get a trip that you design. Here's the number. It's 800-909-9287, and the website's WBUR.org. But again, you have to make that call today. You have to make it before 7 o'clock today, and we know how the end of the week goes. You're crossing off a million things on your to-do list. You're not going to get to all of them, but don't let this be one of those things that falls by the wayside, because a trip to anywhere in the world? I mean, we've we've just never done that before. <laughs> this is ludicrous. What are we thinking? <laughs> 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call to get your name entered into that. You can go to WBUR.org. And hey, you can also get yourself another year's subscription to the New Yorker magazine. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you're renewing a subscription. We're going to throw that in, too, as our thanks for a contribution of $15 a month to WBUR. You can't put a price on the news, but 
do it for WBUR. That's right. Do it now. It takes just a couple of minutes. We're going right back to the news, continuing our coverage, continuing to bring you the journalism you count on. We're just asking you to help pay for it today. Here's the number again. It's 800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the ICA with Simone Lee. A history-making exhibition makes its U.S. debut, opens April 6th, ICABoston.org. You're listening to Morning Edition on 90.9 WBUR. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. The incoming MBTA general manager is promising meaningful changes and progress across the system. Philip Eng is taking over an agency that's been plagued by numerous issues. About a quarter of the T subway system is operating at reduced speeds right now, while track defects are identified and repaired. The slowdowns are increasing commuting times as well as riders' frustrations. WBUR's Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez reports. At Downtown Crossing, the Red Line message board says the next brain tree-bound train will arrive in seven minutes. The next train to Ashmont won't come for more than 20 minutes. Eric Marklin is among the dozens of people waiting on the platform. He says since the slowdown, it's taken about a half hour longer to get to and from his home in Milton. I work in like an office building down here, so it's less time working and more time like just kind of going in between, so it's like, eh, it's a little aggravating. Marklin's been leaving for work earlier, but sometimes that isn't enough. He's been 10 to 15 minutes late to a few meetings. Marklin says his employer is understanding. Uh, for the most part, because they kind of heard about it too and was like, all right, it's not really my fault that's like taking me this long. The T announced speed restrictions across its subway system on March 9th after finding some inconsistencies in track safety reports. Pockets of speed restrictions, or slow zones, remain in place on all lines while repairs continue. Like other passengers, 19-year-old Orange Line rider Vinsterly Fertil is adapting to the delays as best she can. I feel like I have to run more because like, the bus I take is the 104 to get to Malden Station, which is often late also. So, yeah. For Till, a student, says she's padding her travel time by an hour to make it to class on time. The T's interim general manager, Jeff Gonneville, acknowledged the inconvenience the slow zones are causing during a board of directors meeting last week. This is something that we obviously fully recognize our customers' frustration, but the safety of the system is our highest priority. And right now we are taking a very conservative approach with this to ensure that safety. Hyde Park resident Max Tifu says he understands repairs need to be made, but as service has become more unreliable, he's gotten frustrated. Because you're waiting for a long time ago before you, you take the train, especially when you go to work, oh, it's, 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 it's not fair. Boston-based transit advocacy group Transit Matters tracks travel times on the T. Seth Kaplan is a software engineer who helps visualize that data. He says it was tough for passengers to calculate a commute even before the slowdown. The MBTA does publish a schedule, and you can, in theory, look, if I go to Alewife, there's going to be a train, boom, 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 boom. The MBTA doesn't hit that, and it hasn't for a while. Kaplan says the same trip can vary wildly day by day. Things like disabled cars, weather, and medical emergencies can cause delays. A mariachi singer performs on the Orange Line platform at Downtown Crossing. Sean Walsh of Malden slumps on a bench, resting his back against the wall. He says it can take more than an hour to travel the six miles between his home and his job. My experience with the T is it's like 
kind of pointless to go by anything they put online or an app or even in the station. It's show up and hope for the best. <laughs> Walsh says he's done waiting for the tea to become more reliable. He recently bought a car. I didn't want to do it because the environment, the cost, traffic, but like, yeah, relying on the tea when you actually need to be placed and multiple times, it's just not worth it anymore. The tea hasn't given a timeline for lifting slow zones. A rider's guide for getting around while speed restrictions are in place is available in multiple languages on the MBTA website. And the authority recently launched an online dashboard that provides information on where slow zones are located across the system. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. On a cold, blustery day yesterday, the Red Sox opened their 2023 regular season. It was a sloppy and chaotic 10-9 loss to the Baltimore Orioles. But as WBUR's Anthony Brooks reports, the home team made it interesting, leaving fans hopeful about the coming season. Infielder number 10, Trevor Story. As the 23 Red Sox lined up along the first baseline before the game, anything seemed possible at Fenway Park. Despite the cold, the ski jackets, hats and gloves, the sun was out, along with a chance to redeem last season's last place finish. Governor Maura Healy summed up the mood. Oh, it's opening day. There's nothing better. It's a rite of passage, opening day, beautiful day. The sun is out. The crowd is great. And we're ever hopeful and excited for the Sox season. Few people expect this version of the Red Sox to dominate. Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez are both gone. Trevor Story is injured and may miss the whole season. Third baseman Rafael Devers is perhaps the Sox's only all-star, though the newly signed Masataka Yoshida was a star in Japan. Beyond them, the Sox will count on some veterans who are arguably past their prime in a band of younger players with lots to prove. Even so, Al McKim from Norwell says this team will be fun to watch. No, I think we're underdogs, you know, based upon everything that I've read. But I feel good about it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun this year. I'm really looking forward to watching them play. We're optimistic. We know we're going to do better than last year, right? Devers at second, Turner on at first. Dive and a miss there by Frazier. That's into the outfield. Rounding, here comes Devers. He will score. Yoshida and Devers both hit yesterday, but overall the Sox struggled. Former Cy Young winner Corey Kluber started but couldn't find the strike zone and was gone in the fourth inning. The Sox gave up nine walks and were in a deep hole for most of the afternoon. But down 10-4, to they rallied for three runs in the eighth and two more in the ninth. But with the tying run on second, Adam Duvall struck out and the game was over. Manager Alex Cora summed up his disappointment. Yeah, too many walks. You know, we got to be better at that. It's always disappointing, you know. Um, you know, you always want to win that first one. We'll try again next year. This season, Major League Baseball is using new rules to try to speed up the game and address what's known as baseball's boredom problem. They include a pitch clock, allowing no more than 20 seconds between pitches. There are larger bases to encourage stealing and other changes to get more balls in play. Red Sox fan Al McKim says the new rules make sense. I think it's going to force the pitchers to kind of behave a little differently too, and, and the batters as well. We'll see how it goes. But like I said, I, I think it's important to keep the game kind of with a good pace and a good tone. I think that helps at least trying to get the tempo back the way it used to be. But Landon Harrell, 
a Red Sox fan visiting from Knoxville, Tennessee, disagrees. I think baseball is meant to be traditional. You know, they're, they're harming the game more than they're helping the game. So really? I'm a traditionalist, so I love the original game of baseball, and I think that's how it should be played. The new rules appeared to work in spring training, where games were almost a half hour shorter on average, many of them wrapping up in about two and a half hours. Yesterday's game took three hours and ten minutes, but the new rules can't do anything about bad pitching, and there was a lot of that yesterday. The Red Sox are hoping for a tighter, maybe even a shorter game when their season resumes tomorrow. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Anthony Brooks. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by The Huntington with Clyde's, the joyous comedy from Pulitzer recipient Lynn Nottage at The Huntington now through April 23rd, huntingtontheater.org. And Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design, laurenholleran.com. I'm Tiziana Deering. Local journalism has disappeared from communities across America. Research from Harvard shows the erosion of local journalism has contributed to the deterioration of civic engagement in affected communities. Boston is fortunate to have robust local journalism, but we can't take it for granted. Start a monthly contribution to WBUR to keep our local journalism strong. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this morning with Amory Sievertson, and we're taking just a minute, uh, a minute or two, before we go right back to the news. We've got a lot of big news that we're covering. Of course, the indictment of former President Trump, but we also uh, bring in the story about opening day yesterday and uh, a little bit about what's what's happy, what's happening in the world <laughs> of sports. It's all here for you. It's comprehensive news, information. We're telling you about what's happening in your world, and it is dire uh, for many local news outlets, but we've been able to be strong because of you, because most of our money comes from listening listeners just like you during fun drives just like this one. And we're asking you to please do your part and make a pledge today during this spring fundraiser. Here's the number again. It's 1-800-909-9287. You can also pledge online at WBUR.org. And really what's at the heart of what you just heard Tiziana say is that you can't take WBUR for granted. It's easy to. You turn on the radio in the morning. We're there. (laughs) We're telling you what's happening in the world and in your own community. But this takes resources and it only exists. Every Everything that you have heard this morning on Morning Edition was made possible by people who gave their dollars to WBUR, by people who stood up for BUR and said, this matters. It matters to me. It matters to my community that we all have access to fact-based, independent, quality journalism. We know it matters to you. So now it's time to step up and, and make a gift. Maybe it's $10 a month. Maybe it's $20 a month. Maybe you can make a larger gift. Maybe you can give $2,000 to WBUR or $5,000 to WBUR. It matters that you stand up for public journalism. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. You can give online at WBUR.org. And when you give today and today only before 7 o'clock, you will get entered to win that sweepstakes, Deb, Mm, to where? To anywhere. Anywhere (laughs) Anywhere you'd like to go. uh, One lucky 
listener is going to win this. Uh, we will enter your name in our sweepstakes drawing, and you may be the lucky winner of a trip to anywhere. This is a $10,000 voucher from Shorts Travel for you to design your dream trip. Someone's going to win it, but you need to pledge by 7 o'clock tonight. And you know, you said something interesting, Amory. You said, you know, you expect us to be here. When you turn on your radio, you expect the news and information, but also think about all the other platforms we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you go to your phone, when you read stories online, and we have visual uh, visual additions to our content, we try to make access as easy as possible. Help us continue to do that. Keep us strong. Keep the journalism strong. Keep the access open with your pledge. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thanks. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Doris Duke Foundation, which aims to support the well-being of people and the planet for a more creative, equitable, and sustainable future. And from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. I'm Weekend Edition host Sharon Brody, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. You can listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR News Station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted in New York, and for now, the indictment remains under seal. But as NPR's Ilya Meritz reports, Trump has signaled he will fight the charges. In an email, Trump attorneys Susan Necklace and Joseph Tacopina wrote that Trump, quote, did not commit any crime. We will vigorously fight this political prosecution in court. We don't know yet when the precise charges against Trump will be made public. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has spoken about treating Trump like any other citizen, but bringing in an ex-president to be fingerprinted and arraigned in state court will in this case involve the police, the Secret Service, lots of media, and possibly protesters. Ilya Meritz, NPR News, New York. And while most Republicans say they are outraged, Democrats say the indictment is appropriate. NPR's Deirdre Walsh has more. They say the indictment shows that no one is above the law. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement that Trump will be able to avail himself of the legal system and a jury, not politics, can determine his fate according to the facts and the law. The number two Senate Democrat Dick Durbin said any political violence or threats of violence cannot be tolerated. And Pierce Deirdre Walsh reporting. President Biden and the First Lady head to Rolling Fork, Mississippi today to visit the community after recent tornadoes there killed more than two dozen people. And Pierce Deepa Shivaram has more. The White House says Biden's visit will reaffirm his commitment to supporting the people of Mississippi in their recovery efforts for, quote, as long as it takes. Rolling Fork is a predominantly black town with just over 2,000 residents. Most of the area has been flattened by the storm. During their visit, the Bidens will meet with first responders and state and local officials. Earlier in the week, the president authorized an emergency declaration for Mississippi, providing federal funds for the hardest hit areas. Deepa Shivaram, NPR News, Washington. Idaho is poised to become the first state in the country, according to Planned Parenthood, to criminally charge those who help pregnant minors get an abortion without parental consent. Boise State Public Radio's James Dawson has more. 
If implemented, anyone who helps a pregnant minor in Idaho get an abortion without their parents' permission could face two to five years in prison. Nearly all abortions are banned here, with few exceptions, though the procedure is legal in several neighboring states. Opponents like Democrat State Senator James Ruckty question the bill's legality since federal law regulates interstate travel. The act doesn't occur until they get within the borders of another state where that act is legal. If it becomes law, Planned Parenthood says it'll consider a court challenge. For NPR News, I'm James Dawson in Boise. U.S. futures contracts are trading in mixed territory at this hour. Dow futures are up about two-tenths of a percent. NASDAQ futures are down a fraction. This is NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. Members of the state's all-Democratic congressional delegation are reacting to the indictment of former President Donald Trump. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark says it's time to have faith in the criminal justice system and let the case play out. Congresswoman Lori Trahan says no one should be exempt from consequences if they break the law, and she's encouraging other lawmakers to not get involved with the court case. State officials and community activists are kicking off a program to help people maintain health insurance coverage. As WBUR's Priyanka Dayal-McCluskey reports, starting tomorrow, residents insured by the Mass Health Program will need to prove they're eligible for those benefits. A pandemic-era rule that allowed people to stay on mass health indefinitely is expiring, and an estimated 300,000 people will need to shift to different health plans. Gladys Vega runs the community group La Collaborativa in Chelsea. She says she's worried people could lose coverage altogether if they forget to respond to mail from the state. Coverage is key. Coverage is about our life, our health, and taking care of our families. And in order for us to be able to take care of our families, we need to be individually healthy. Community organizers plan to knock on doors to tell residents about the insurance changes and help them stay covered. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Priyanka Dayal-McCluskey. The president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston supports more interest rate hikes. Susan Collins says the increases are needed to control inflation. Federal officials approved a quarter percentage point rate hike last week, and Collins called the pace of the hikes appropriate and expects at least one more quarter point increase this year. Massachusetts communities are celebrating the Transgender Day of Visibility today. Local activist Evan Greer helped organize an event in Somerville tonight. What we need this year is not just more visibility, it's solidarity and action and people doing something to help protect the most vulnerable members of our community, which in this case is often young people. In Worcester, there will be a rally at City Hall and the Cambridge City Hall will be lit in the colors of the transgender flag through the weekend. The time is seven minutes past eight. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by ThoughtForms Custom Builders, building healthy, high-performance homes for families and for the future, supporting the 15th annual MIT Sustainability Summit, focusing on demystifying carbon markets. April 28th. Learn more at sustainabilitysummit.mit.edu and thoughtforms-corp.com. 
In sports, Celtics easily bit, uh, beat the Bucks last night. The final in Milwaukee was 140-99. to Bruins beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 2-1 to at the Garden in overtime. And the Red Sox lost their first game of the season. They lost 10-9 to to the Baltimore Orioles. In our weather forecast, increasing clouds today, a few showers this afternoon, highs near 50 today. Tonight we'll see rain with lows in the 30s. Tomorrow, scattered showers during the day, but drying out later in the afternoon. Tomorrow, temperatures will be in the 60s. For Sunday, sunshine, highs in the 40s. It is 35 degrees in Boston. WBUR supporters include the Walton Family Foundation, working to solve social and environmental problems to improve lives today and benefit future generations. More information at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Local journalism is the backbone of vibrant, engaged local communities. When local journalism disappears, civic engagement goes with it. WBUR's journalism is strong, but we don't take it for granted, and we hope you won't either. Our future is not guaranteed. We need your monthly contribution to keep our journalism and our local communities strong. Give today at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And call now today during WBUR Spring Fundraiser because it's an important day uh, of the Spring Fundraiser. We have a deadline today, 7 o'clock tonight to be specific, for you to be entered in our sweepstakes to win a trip anywhere in the world. So if you make a pledge to WBUR, if you support our local journalism before 7 o'clock tonight, your name's entered in a drawing to win a trip where Shorts Travel will help you create a trip anywhere in the world, perhaps your dream destination. Someone's going to win it. Maybe it'll be you, but you need to make a pledge for the news by 7 p.m. Here's the number. It's 1-800-909-9287, the website WBUR.org. I'm Deborah Becker, and joining me in the studio this morning is Amory Sievertson. Good morning. Good morning, Deb. And just to be clear, if I make my call tomorrow... Mm. No sweepstakes. No sweepstakes. If I make my call at 8 p.m. tonight. (laughs) No sweepstakes. (laughs) No sweepstakes. You have to do this today. We are very serious about our deadlines here at WBUR, and this is one that you do not want to miss. A trip to anywhere in the world for supporting your public radio station? I mean, that is just dreamy. And, you know, we know that that, uh, because you listen to WBUR, you get all of the economic news that we bring here. You know that this is an uncertain time. We feel it here at WBUR, too. And here's our CEO, Margaret Lowe, talking a little bit about that. We have tens of thousands of supportive listeners, members, people who tell us that we're their lifeline, that even on the hardest news days, we remind them of their humanity. But the truth is, it's gotten harder and harder to find new members. And that scares us. I mean, it definitely keeps me up at night. Stations across the country are experiencing the same decline in the number of donors at a time when we know trustworthy information is so crucial to our collective well-being. So my hope is that our listeners can help us buck this trend. We know that many of you listening spend more time with WBUR than you do with some of the people you love most. We also know that there are so many good causes to support, but if we matter in your life at all, if you can't imagine a day or a week without WBUR and NPR, we'd love to hear from you. 
We would love to hear from you, especially today on our, during our spring fundraiser and during this last day where you can get your name in on our sweepstakes to win a trip anywhere in the world. But really what, what we want you to do is what Margaret just said, help us turn this trend of declining numbers of donors around. Help us turn it around so we can have the money we need to be your source of strong journalism, of your source really of knowing you can trust the information you get from WBUR because of our editorial independence. Call with your pledge now, 800-909-9287 or wbur.org. Don't, don't take us for granted. Yeah. And, you know, it's when, when you have big news like the indictment of former President Trump, you know that when you turn on WBUR, we're going to tell you what you need to know. We're going to help you make sense of it. We're going to help you figure out, you know, what is true, what is not, what matters to you, what does this mean for you? You can't take that for granted. You know, whenever there's a, a new headline, you open your phone and, and you just don't have the context that that you do when you listen to WBUR. You can't take for granted that you have a news source that you know you can trust and that it's here for the community for free, made possible by people who can pay for it, people who step up and say, you know what, I can give $10 a month for for WBUR to protect WBUR as a resource. So do it right now. You make up the largest share of the funding that makes WBUR possible. We literally cannot do this without you. Step up for BUR. 1-800-909- 9287 is the number, or go to WBUR.org. And also, we need to mention, if you can give $15 a month, we have a little thank you gift for you, a one-year subscription to The New Yorker. That's for your $15 a month contribution for the news. Call now. It's 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thanks so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by UMass Chan Medical School, proud to be named one of the Boston Globe's top places to work. Learn more at umassmed.edu globe. And Waterstone, a new luxury independent and assisted living community with social and wellness programs and fine dining on Watertown Street in Lexington. Waterstonelexington.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Sasha Pfeiffer in Washington, D.C. For the first time, a former president faces criminal charges. Donald Trump has been indicted by a New York grand jury. We don't know what the former president is being charged with, but the grand jury has been looking into payments made in 2016 to Trump's former attorney. The money was used to pay adult film star Stormy Daniels to keep quiet about an alleged sexual encounter with Trump. And the alleged crime involves how Trump logged the reimbursement as a business expense for legal services. So how will this indictment affect Trump's 2024 campaign? We turn now to Republican strategist Scott Jennings. Scott, good morning. Hey, good morning. Before I have you give us what you consider the political lay of the land, I'm interested in your personal reaction when you heard that this indictment had actually been handed down, even though we knew it might be coming. What did you think when you heard Well, it's a sad day for America. I mean, I don't think most Americans want to think of their presidents or former presidents as people who would face an indictment. Uh, Even if you think it's politically motivated, uh, you don't like the idea that a president's carrying an indictment. And uh, the underlying behavior, of course, of the president here, the alleged behavior, I should say, uh, is nothing you want to talk to your kids about either. So I, I think it's a sad day. 
I know that Republicans are not a monolith. No voters are monolithic. But in generally speaking, do you consider this more a plus or more a minus for Trump's popularity among people who support him? Well, I, I, I was looking at a survey this week from Quinnipiac. They took a pretty large survey. And among Republicans, um, they were asked, do you think this is motivated by politics or motivated by the law? And 93% of Republicans thought it was motivated by politics. So that's pretty close to a monolith. Now, overall, the American people thought 62% uh, said it was motivated by politics. And 70% of independents thought that. Even 30% of Democrats thought that. So it's a strange situation because uh, Trump is not usually on the right side of public opinion. He's more of a plurality type of politician. But in this case, uh, most of the American people, at least according to this survey today, before we've seen the indictment, before we've seen the facts, has seemed to agree with him that this is a politically motivated uh, indictment. And knowing that prosecutors would realize that would be a reaction, did it surprise you that they decided to do this anyway? I'm not surprised uh, because of the um, political dynamics in New York City. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, we haven't seen the evidence and I don't know what all the charges are gonna be yet, no one does. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm not personally surprised. I don't think Republicans are personally. Uh, most would say I'm not personally surprised by this because they think people like uh, the prosecutor, Bragg, and, and other uh, Democrats have been trying to get Trump for years. That would be their viewpoint. Uh, doesn't necessarily make uh, any legal uh, difference, you know, when he takes it to a jury. But but that's that's how they would feel. Mm. Interesting, because by doing it, they may have helped Trump, and even in, in wanting to. Uh make Trump be held accountable, as they would describe it. No question about that. I mean, when you look at the position that Trump's opponents are now in, you've got Ron DeSantis and everybody else who are who are running against him or thinking of it out here defending him. And so it, at least in the short term, it could be of some benefit. Now, this is one case. He's facing problems in Georgia. He's got the January 6th investigation, the Mar-a-Lago documents. I view this over the long term, and, and I view these investigations like a sack, and you're putting rocks in a sack. This may ultimately be one of the smaller rocks. Maybe it's just a pebble. But if you were to add it to, say, other indictments for more serious issues uh, where the evidence is more uh, important and more stark and the issues are more consequential to American public affairs, uh, may, maybe it's overall not a good thing to be indicted. I mean, I've done some political campaigns in my life, and uh, I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> if you're trying to run for office. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things and all the issues he's facing, this one seems like the least consequential to me and, and frankly to most people. You mentioned his opponents. And I want to ask you about that because we've already heard from Mike Pence, the former vice president, of course. He told CNN the indictment is an outrage. Here's part of what he said. I really do believe that this decision today is a great disservice to the country. The idea that for the first time in American history, a former president would be indicted on a campaign finance issue. To me, it, it just smacks of political prosecution. And Scott, then another political rival for the GOP nomination, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, he also spoke out against the, against the prosecutor bringing charges. They could have used this to their advantage. They could have used it to really condemn Trump. Why do you think these challengers have decided basically to speak in support of Trump? Well, two things. Number one, they can read a poll and they see that you know, over 90 percent of Republicans think it's a political prosecution. Even people who don't want to vote for Trump again or don't want him to be the nominee uh, don't like this prosecution. They think it's all about politics. So 
at some point, uh, being a Republican these days is about at least showing or channeling the emotional state of the Republican Party and the emotional state of the party right now over this issue is that this is all politics and and uh, we don't like it. And so there's there's really nothing to be gained among Republican primary voters by coming out and saying, well, I think Alvin Bragg's a smart guy and we ought to <laughs> we ought to look into that. Uh, so I, I they don't really have a choice. They're in a bit of a box here. This does bring quite a bit of attention to Trump. He's a man who likes attention. He might find this beneficial. I'm wondering what kind of political advice you would give him if you were advising him as if he, as he's running now. Well, um, yeah, he's uh, he, he's a he's a ringmaster, and here's the first uh, t- uh, attempt that he'll have in this primary to paint this as like a elliptic, bright line. It's us versus them, and so. Uh, if you're in his shoes, you're saying to Republicans, like, look, look at what they're doing to me. They're not going to stop. And, uh, you know, siding with any opponent of mine, whether they're Republican or Democrat, is akin to siding with the people who are weaponizing our justice system against the Republican Party. So I think in the short run, he's going to paint this as a pure us versus them. And they're, and you can't be on multiple sides. You can't you can't have it any other way except you got to pick me or you got to pick the partisan Democrats. And uh, I think that's that's where you'll see him go, uh, at least in the short run on this particular indictment. That's Republican strategist Scott Jennings. Thank you. Thank you. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. A pandemic-era protection against evictions is set to expire at the end of the day today. A section of state law known as Chapter 257 requires evictions to be paused if a tenant has a pending application for rental aid. Housing advocates across the state are warning that the loss of this policy could lead to people losing their homes. Among those advocates is Kelly Turley with the Massachusetts Co. Coalition for the Homeless, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, Deborah. Housing advocates wrote to state lawmakers that about 9,000 evictions have been paused since this law went into effect. So on the ground, what does it mean if people lose this? We're seeing that right now families and individuals that are facing eviction due to non-payment of rent can apply for rental assistance to the state. The main remaining rental assistance program is called RAFT, Residential Assistance for Families in Transition. But that application process can take weeks or months for a family or individual to get an answer to their rental assistance application. And this eviction protection tool, Chapter 257, has put a pause on the eviction until the family or individual gets a response on that rental assistance application. But when this law goes away, the eviction case can proceed, even if the family or individual ultimately would have been approved for rental assistance. Now, landlords uh, didn't object to Chapter 257 for the most part, uh, it's my understanding, because rental aid came in. But that money's running out. And so now we're talking about landlords having to wait weeks or months to have the the money to cover their rental unit and pay for it. How How do you make sure the landlords get the resources they need, too? Well, even though the federal resources that were more plentiful during the pandemic have dried up, there is that state program raft, which just this week, Governor Healy signed a supplemental budget approving an additional about $16 million for the program. So funds are still available. It's just the timing doesn't always work out in terms of how quickly a household is able to access those funds. And so then what what do you tell landlords who might be concerned? 
Well, we're trying to work in collaboration with landlords, with tenants, and other allies across the state to speed up the application process for RAFT. Right now, it's pretty cumbersome. A family or individual will apply. They'll put all of their information into the system, and then a landlord puts their information into um, an online application system. Those two halves have to be matched. And so trying to streamline that process to make sure the matching happens as quickly as possible to decrease the verification burden on families and individuals as they go through the application process. We know that there is an urgent need for families and individuals to access rental assistance. We want to speed up that process. And we saw that when federal funds were flowing in Massachusetts for rental assistance, that the federal government required Massachusetts to streamline the process, and it was very successful. So we want to work with landlords to make sure that they are made whole with the rental assistance and that families and individuals can stay in place and have housing stability. You mentioned the governor's proposed budget and funding for the RAFT program, but the governor, as my understanding, has not tried to extend Chapter 257. Is that right? It's not really in the governor's court to extend. So we're looking on the legislature to pass a law to be able to extend Chapter 257 beyond the end of today. And we've petitioned to the court to be able to put out a standing order so they could do that today. Hopefully they will take that opportunity. We also have been in conversation with state officials to ask them to use their power and influence to call on the court and legislature to do that. But you're right, we haven't seen the governor file standalone legislation to ask for that. Mm. But she couldn't on her own implement that extension. Have you seen a, a rise in the number of people who are unsheltered as pandemic era protections have expired? We're seeing more and more households experiencing homelessness, an increase in unsheltered homelessness for sure. But what we're seeing most acutely in Massachusetts is a dramatic increase in the number of families with children who are applying for a state emergency assistance shelter and being approved. And so the state is using more hotels and motels as overflow spaces to be able to provide shelter to families with children. And not all of those families were coming from their own unit, coming from an eviction situation, but that is certainly a driver. So what do you think would help the most here right now in, in the in the short term? We hope that the legislature or the courts does um, temporarily extend this policy while we can allow time for the legislature to act on a bill that would permanently establish these Chapter 257 eviction protections to allow people time to have their application for rental assistance processed so that landlords can be made hold and that households can stay in place. Okay, Kelly Turley with the Massachusetts Coalition for the Homeless. Thanks for speaking with WBUR's Morning Edition. Thank you, Deborah. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Bass, Berry, and Sims Healthcare Law Practice, advising academic medical centers and healthcare providers on complex legal matters nationwide. More at BassBerry.com. I'm Lisa Mullins. WBUR is here to help us all think harder. When we tell you a story, we think about how it'll touch your mind and sometimes your heart. Support journalism that has deep meaning in your life by giving monthly at WBUR.org. You can also call 1-800-909-9287. And you can make your pledge during this spring fundraiser here at WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this morning with Amory Sievertson. And, and we are asking you to think for a moment about how the journalism on WBUR touches your head sometimes, your heart sometimes, and how we really give you a comprehensive picture of what's going on in the world, in your neighborhood, and how you need that information and how you act 
on that information and how you want to keep it strong by making your pledge during fund drives just like this one. And and here's a little nudge to, to hopefully get you to contribute today because today is the deadline. It's We respond to that word around here, deadline, but it's, <laughs> a, it's the last day for you to get your name in our drawing to win a trip anywhere. You design a trip anywhere in the world. That is the gift in our sweepstakes, but this sweepstakes will end at 7 p.m. tonight. So you only have today. If you've been listening, you've been thinking about making a pledge for the news, do it now because you only have a few hours left to get your name in that drawing. Someone is going to win that, and it's a trip to anywhere, your dream destination. So do it now. Make that pledge. Yeah, take a minute in this in this busy morning with lots of news. Take a minute for yourself to close your eyes, unless you're driving, keep them open. But mm-hmm. if you can, close your eyes and daydream for a minute about where in the world you would go. Hi, I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say the best place I've ever visited was the island of Jamaica. My name is Bautin, I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. The best place I've ever traveled to is definitely Paris. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. The best trip I've ever been on was when I got to go to just south of Acadia National Park called Northeast Harbor with my family a couple years ago. And while we were sailing, there were dolphins that were swimming next to us. Whether it's Acadia, Jamaica, wherever you would like to go, you can design the trip if you are the lucky winner of our sweepstakes. But this, as we said, this sweepstakes ends at 7 o'clock tonight. So call now with your pledge for the news and get your name entered into the sweepstakes to possibly win this trip. Make that pledge for something that you heard on WBUR that that did make you think harder, as Lisa said, that made you consider things in a new way, or maybe something that just really touched your heart, or or um, you know really just made you stop and and have a richer sense of what it means to live in Boston, to live in Massachusetts, to be an American, to be a citizen of the world. This is what WBUR brings to you just by bringing the news, the truth, the stories of real people. That matters. It matters that we hear the, you know, the stories and the truths of real people. And that's what you get. And that's why we ask you to give to make all of that possible. And of course, you get entered in to win things like a sweepstakes, a trip to anywhere in the world. It's wild. Call 1-800-909-9287. Go to WBUR.org. Get entered to win that sweepstakes while supporting the station you care about. You know, we've been fundraising together for a long time. I know. I was thinking about that earlier this week, Deb. I think this is like my 50th fundraiser or something like that. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I've never counted. (laughs) But I will say, I've never never heard of a trip to anywhere, right? No, this is bananas. It's a really terrific (laughs) gift. What are we thinking? (laughs) Someone is going to win this sweepstakes and be able to design a trip anywhere in the world. So get your name in on that by making your pledge for the news. And of course, we, we just want to say we would not be here without you. You provide most of the money for this news service. We would not be able to give you all the news every day on the radio, new programming, 24-7 programming, plus everything you can get on your phone from our website. It's all here from you. We continue to grow. We continue to be a multi-platform media organization. And it's all because of your dollars. You can see your dollars being put to work. Make a pledge with those 
$5 now during this spring fundraiser, and perhaps you'll get to design the trip of a lifetime. 1-800-909-9287 is the number. Go to WBUR.org. Maybe get yourself a subscription to The New Yorker while you're at it as our thanks for a gift of $15 a month. Choose the amount that's right for you. Just do it now. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Hint, maker of fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners. Hint's 25 flavors include blackberry, coconut, and blueberry lemon in stores or at hintwater.com. And from Progressive Insurance with Snapshot, which monitors safe driving habits to determine a personalized rate at progressive.com. Not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. And from Rice University, where challenging convention, exploring new ideas, and making a positive impact is central to how they define unconventional wisdom. More at unconventional.rice.edu. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. A grand jury in Manhattan has indicted former President Donald Trump. He's the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges. They remain under seal. The charges stem from hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential campaign. NPR's Windsor Johnston says Republicans in Congress are criticizing the prosecutor in the case. In a statement on Twitter, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says District Attorney Alvin Bragg has irreparably damaged the nation in an attempt to interfere in the upcoming presidential election. McCarthy also threatens to hold Bragg accountable for what he calls his unprecedented abuse of power. Trump is seeking the White House again in 2024. He's expected to appear in a New York courtroom next week. President Biden is heading to Mississippi this morning to get a look at some of the damage done by last week's EF4 tornado. It leveled homes and businesses in several small towns and killed more than 20 people in the state. One person in Alabama also died. The president is expected to survey damage in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and be joined by the state's governor. The Justice Department is suing Norfolk Southern in response to last month's fiery freight train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. This is NPR News from Washington. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. Members of the Massachusetts All-Democratic Congressional Delegation are responding to the indictment of former President Donald Trump. Senator Elizabeth Warren told CBS Mornings that the matter is now up to the courts. It is possible to have an independent investigation, to go wherever the facts lead, and then to follow the process through. And that process offers plenty of opportunity for Donald Trump or anyone else accused of a crime to bring forward whatever evidence they want, to use whatever part of the legal system they want. But we follow the law for everyone. Republicans are saying that the indictment is political. Congressman James McGovern says the indictment has nothing to do with politics and Trump deserves his day in court. Coming up in a few minutes on Morning Edition, we will hear reaction from the chair of the Massachusetts Republican Party. Massachusetts is fining the delivery service GoPuff more than $6 million because of a worker pay dispute. The state attorney general's office says the company misclassified almost 1,000 drivers and other workers 
workers in communities around Greater Boston, the North Shore, and Worcester. The fines believed to be the highest amount ever imposed for misclassifying employees. GoPup says it plans to appeal. Plans are being developed to try to develop Tinian Beach in Dorchester from rising sea levels caused by climate change. The beach has a history of flooding and higher-than-normal tides during storms. Chris Bush with the city's planning and development office says there are various options, including protecting the beach and nearby marsh with some man-made items berm um, and elevated features within the park, and then more sort of structural or infrastructure-based solutions such as the elevation of Conley Street, uh, things like deployable flood walls. So really a, a wide array of different options we want to discuss. He says the city's looking at both short and long-term solutions. The time is 8.35. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, auto and home insurance that strives to treat you with kindness and humanity because they believe there's never been a better time for nice. PlymouthRock.com. In sports, the Bruins beat the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime last night. The final at the Garden was 2-1. to one. The Bees will visit the Pittsburgh Penguins tomorrow. Celtics routed the Bucks 140-99 in Milwaukee. The Seas will host the Utah Jazz tonight. And the Red Sox lost their opening day game to the Baltimore Orioles. The final score was 10-9. WBUR's Anthony Brooks was there. After finishing in last place last season, the Sox are hoping for better results in 2023. Governor Maura Healy, who joined fans yesterday at Fenway Park, said opening day is a time of hope and new beginnings. I always believe in the Red Sox. Always looking forward to the season and, you know, it's just great to see the energy and the electricity. But the energy didn't favor the Sox yesterday. Starter Corey Kluber didn't last through the fourth inning. Down 10-4, the Sox made it interesting late in the game, scoring three runs in the eighth and two more in the ninth, before Adam Duvall struck out to end the game with a tying run on second. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Anthony Brooks. In our weather forecast, increasing clouds today, maybe some showers this afternoon. Highs will get up around 50 today. Tonight, rain with lows in the 30s. Tomorrow, scattered showers, but it should be dry by the end of the afternoon tomorrow. Highs in the 60s for Sunday, sunshine with temperatures in the 40s. It's 35 degrees in Boston. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from iDrive with Remote PC, providing remote access to PCs, Macs, and servers from anywhere. Designed to assist those working from home. More at remotepc.com. And from Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global companies make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. Good morning. I'm Deborah Becker. Donald Trump will become the nation's first former president to be criminally indicted. It's part of a case tied to his role in paying hush money to an adult film star. The specific charges remain under seal. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office says it is working with Trump's lawyer to coordinate an arraignment, which is expected next week. Joining us now is Amy Carnavali, who chairs the Massachusetts State Republican Party. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what's your reaction to this news? So I think Republicans in general are are very concerned that this case was prosecuted in the first place 
based on, you know, who Donald Trump is and the fact that he's running for president. Um, I think, you know, short of the fact that he's running, um, you would not see these charges, um, you know, be continued by by the DA. You think they just would have dropped the case? I don't think the case would have uh, would have come to this level in the first place. I mean, the original charge was a misdemeanor for which the statute of limitations had expired. Uh, so I think the DA is really using the legal process to concoct uh, charges, um, you know, for which uh, he could find a, viol- a potential violation and, and pursue those charges. So it, it seems to me that it's politically motivated. And, you know, that's a real concern. You know, we've been hearing uh, some heated rhetoric from uh, the former president and his supporters. Are, are you worried about potential violence? We're hearing about security being increased in New York. Are you, are you concerned about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about potential violence, especially here in the Commonwealth. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, supporters of the president understand that, um, you know, there are instruments in the government who, frankly, you know, have been pursuing him for some time. And, you know, I do think, though, uh, that the result of these charges uh, will further uh, polarize our electorate. Um, So that is a concern to me. Um, But I'm not particularly worried about violence. And I certainly hope that that's not the case. You know, the polls indicate that Donald Trump is the leading contender for the Republicans in uh, next year's presidential race. Do you think this indictment could change that? You know, I do think among the president's base, um, this indictment may further entrench his support. Um, So I think there may be some effect, frankly, with with Republicans rallying around the president in in the face of these charges, which, you know, again, seem to be politically motivated. Um, So I I don't see uh, these charges, frankly, eroding his support among his political base. Um, But Certainly, I think, you know, when you look at independence or, you know, a certain sector of the Republican Party, um, you know, who who were not aligned with the president to begin with, you know, this may further um, distance themselves from him. Hmm. But you actually think it could strengthen the support for the Uh, former president? uh, I I do think it could strengthen it among the Republican base. I do. Hmm. What about in Massachusetts? What about Massachusetts Republicans? Yeah. I think I think a similar situation. Again, you know, he has a, um, a base of support here in Massachusetts, and I think that that base of support you'll see will rally, uh, 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 you know, aside him um, because of the the view that this has been prosecuted on a political basis. So I think you'll see that happen. Uh, again, you know, his his numbers remain low overall in Massachusetts, and you know, so I, I do think, um, you know, I don't see his numbers I- increasing particularly here, but I think his base will will rally around him here in Massachusetts. He is facing other investigations, you know, election results in Georgia, the January sixth riot at the Capitol. There are investigations there. How, how might that affect Massachusetts Republicans? I know you said it's a it's a small base mm-hmm. of support here, but do you think that could further dwindle the base of support? Or, or cause other Republicans to further distance themselves? And any reaction there? Yeah, you know, uh, Don, former President Donald Trump does have a way of kind of using issues like these uh, to his benefit, um, you know, to um, frankly, you know, show that um, he sometimes is victimized uh, by the by the government instruments. And so I think, frankly, he'll do that again, um, you know, if any of these other cases proceed further. Um, you know, longer term, I think we're going to have to, you know, really uh, wait them out and, and see what happens. 
but again, you know, with his base here, um, you know, they've stuck by him through a, a lot of issues. Um, and so I think that he'll continue to see, um, you know, that support remain. Amy Carnevale, chair of the Massachusetts State Republican Party. Thanks so much for speaking with WBUR's Morning Edition. Thanks for talking with me. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by the Health and Wellness Spring Expo in Waltham this Sunday, featuring massage, acupuncture, and other mini treatments. Learn more at healthandwellnessshow.net. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Threats to democracy make an informed public critical to America's future. WBUR will always be free thanks to listeners who give voluntarily. Give monthly to give real journalism a strong future. Here's how. You can call 800-909-9287. You can go online to WBUR.org if it's easier. But call now because you do know how important information is, how important it is to the electorate and to policymakers. And we're asking you to recognize that importance and help us have the financial resources to continue to bring you truthful, vetted, fair information about your world to you every single day. If you value the journalism, here, then please make a pledge to support it because listeners give us most of the money we need to do our journalism. Again, the number is 800-909-9287. The website's WBUR.org. I'm Deborah Becker. With me in the studio this morning, Amory Sievertson. Good morning. Good morning, Deb. And you know, WBUR, I think a lot of people would describe it as a real treasure in their life. It's a treasure mm. to have this kind of journalism and, and the reporters that we have here and the experience that those reporters bring. And, you know, we've mentioned this, but people like Sylvia Pajoli, who, you know, spent 41 years with NPR. Margaret Lowe, our CEO, worked with her for many years at NPR. And she and Rupa Shinoy were reflecting on Sylvia's career lately. Sylvia has been on NPR's air for 41 years. She's NPR's longest-serving foreign correspondent. Her name is practically synonymous with Rome, and she's covered three popes. She's also taken us around the world to Prague's Velvet Revolution, the Balkans, Myanmar, Iraq. I have such vivid memories of the days 40 years ago editing her pieces in the middle of the night on Morning Edition when I was an overnight production assistant. And it was through her reporting that I really began to understand the world and the full power of journalism. And I can't tell you how many times and how many people have asked me if I know Sylvia Pajoli. And when they ask, they always try to say her name just like she does, which is close to impossible. I actually brought a quick clip of Sylvia sucking out from Rome in one of her latest stories. Here it is. Sylvia Pajoli, NPR News, Rome. Sylvia Pajoli, NPR News, Rome. I definitely can't say it like she does, but I've always been so proud to say that I do indeed know Sylvia, who, by the way, grew up here. Sylvia represents the very best of what NPR and WBUR stand for, and, and she always will. So if having someone like Sylvia Pajoli in your life for the past 5, 10, 15, or 40 years has mattered to you, Please support WBUR and NPR with your donation. That's WBUR CEO Margaret Lowe talking about Sylvia Pajoli, who's uh, hanging up the microphone after more than four decades. Uh, And if you value the type of thoughtful journalism from experienced 
journalists. Uh, then we're asking you to make a pledge today during this spring fundraiser and give us your support because really it's your dollars. It's dollars from listeners just like you that help fund the entire news operation here at WBUR and at NPR. So so do what you can. We're not asking you to give us thousands. Uh, if you can, that's great. But whatever you can do, uh, please do it today. And when you make a pledge today, your name is entered into our sweepstakes to win a trip that you design. You can go anywhere. So your dream destination could be yours soon because someone is going to win that trip, but you need to make the pledge by 7 o'clock tonight. Here's the number. It's 1-800-909-9287, or you can pledge online at WBUR.org. That's right. 7 o'clock tonight, not 9 o'clock tonight, not tomorrow morning, (laughs) not Sunday. You have to make that call now if you want to be entered to win that sweepstakes. And we hope that you will make it now and that you'll give just as generously as you can because, you know, how we spend our money matters. You might be spending, you know, 15 bucks a month right now on a streaming service that you hardly touch, that you hardly use. So put that money towards a resource that you use every day, that your community uses every day, that they rely on every day to have the truth, to have the, you know, the sense and the calm way of bringing you the news. That matters. Put $10 a month behind that, $20 a month, $30 a month. If you can make a larger gift, do that and do it right now so that you do not miss out on that chance to get entered to win a trip to anywhere, anywhere that you want to go in the world. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know, as Magna said at the beginning, we will always be free. We are free. We know some of you can't give right now, and that's okay. But if you can, we're asking you to do your part and do it during this spring fundraiser so we'll know where we stand financially and how best to budget our resources to cover the news for you in the year ahead. Again, the number 800-909-9287. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Our Journey with La Mer, a world premiere about ocean preservation by choreographer Nanine Linning, April 6th to 16th, bostonballet.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm e. Martinez. And I'm Sasha Pfeiffer. The price tag for two big bank failures this month is expected to top $22 billion. The Biden administration says small community banks should not be stuck with that bill. That's one of several recommendations the White House is making to bank regulators. And it comes after two days of congressional hearings with lots of finger pointing about who's to blame for the collapse of the banks and how to prevent similar meltdowns. NPR's Scott Horsley joins us now. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Sasha. Scott, the White House has been adamant that taxpayers will not be on the hook for this bailout. So where is the money going to come from? It's going to come from other banks. Uh, And as you say, it's a lot of money. Uh, Remember, the government decided to backstop all the customers at Silicon Valley Bank. And the vast majority of those deposits were over the $250,000 limit that's typically covered by deposit insurance. By law, the FDIC has to recover any shortfall in its insurance fund by imposing a special assessment, uh, that's a kind of one-time tax, on other banks around the country. And that brought howls of protest this week from lawmakers like Andy Barr of Kentucky. The vast majority of community banks in my district are well-managed, and those Kentucky banks and their customers have been asking me why they should have to pay an assessment for your rescue of Silicon Valley Bank with 100% guarantee of deposits of largely wealthy, sophisticated depositors. I think this is a legitimate question. 
In fact, it's a question we heard over and over this week from members of Congress. Uh, now, the FDIC does have some latitude to decide how the bill is divvied up among different categories of banks. And the FDIC is expected to spell out its recovery formula in just about a month. Scott, this legislator just addressed this question in part. But why is the White House trying to protect community banks from being saddled with this cost? The administration's argument's twofold. First, it says community banks were not to blame for the problems at Silicon Valley. And second, they say they want to maintain a healthy mix of banks of all different sizes. You know, historically, the U.S. has tended to have a lot more small banks than many other countries. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said last week that while big banks are certainly important for the economy, small banks provide services in a way that a lot of those big banks can't match. These banks provide vital credit and financial support to families and small businesses and often have specialized knowledge and expertise in the communities they invest in. Now, this episode has also prompted a fresh look at deposit insurance overall, whether that $250,000 limit is too low, especially for businesses, and needs to be raised. If it is, uh, how would that cost be shared among different banks? Unlike the special assessment, that's something that's going to take an act of Congress. Scott, the White House is also recommending some beefed-up oversight of mid-sized banks. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank has shown that even a mid-sized bank failure can do a lot of damage, especially if depositors at other banks get spooked and start to pull their money out. So the administration is urging regulators to impose stricter rules on banks that are the size that Silicon Valley was. Rules like that had been put in place uh, after the financial crisis under the Dodd-Frank law. But those rules were watered down in recent years, starting during the Trump administration. Uh, The Biden administration has put in a new crop of regulators, and they're likely to pursue a tougher approach. Now, all of this is just a suggestion from the administration. These are independent regulatory agencies. But since Biden did appoint a lot of the the regulators, uh, the suggestion is likely to be taken seriously. NPR Scott Horsley, thank you. You're welcome. Time now for StoryCorps. 32 years ago, Leslie Harris was working a construction job in Kankakee, Illinois. He came to StoryCorps with his daughter Angie to remember the day his life changed. So what did you imagine your life was going to be like when you first started this job? I was going to basically make a decent living at a decent trade. Purchase our own house and take care of uh, you and build up a nest egg. But at 32 years old, pretty much changed my life. October 5th, 1990, a little after 10 a.m., when a uh, piece of steel landed on my back, pinned me against a concrete footing. I immediately knew that I was pretty seriously hurt. I could look down on my legs. I couldn't feel them. So I pretty much knew I was paralyzed. What were you thinking through all of that? Uh, I wanted to live. Before that, the only bone I'd ever broken in my life was my thumb. I remember seeing you in the hospital, um, sitting in your wheelchair. You were eight years old. You were smiling. Yeah. And as a child, I don't remember being sad that you were in a wheelchair. I don't know if you know this, but everybody that meets you walks away feeling better, smiling, laughing. You have a positive perspective, and I know that I got that from you. I see the difference you've made in people's lives. Did you have that before the accident? I had to learn how to live again. You know, and I learned if you quit, 
you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, so the good Lord give me another day. So I'm on, I'm going to take it and do what I can. Your attitude is very important. We celebrate October 5th as your life day. Yeah. We have for 32 years. I'm going to bring it up. Okay. You had $7 million. Th- that was the verdict. And today, it's not there. No. I did. I did some good with it. I mean, that's what I watched you do. I watched you help people. Yeah. I've had several people tell me I'm an inspiration to them. And I said, well, I'm just living my life and getting up every day, you know. Have you ever felt like not getting up? No. From tragedy to triumph, life rolls on. And I'll keep on rolling. (laughs) That was Leslie Harris and Angie Presley for StoryCorps in Illinois. Their conversation will be archived at the Library of Congress. Major support for StoryCorps comes from Dignity Memorial, helping families plan life celebrations now so their loved ones are protected later because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Learn more at DignityMemorial.com. And from Subaru with the 2023 Subaru Forester, featuring standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and safety technology. Love, it's what makes Subaru Subaru. Learn more at Subaru.com. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Surter Pro Painters, professional exterior and interior painting for your home or business. Learn more about their painting services at surterpro.com. That's Serta with a C. Hey, it's Dave Martinez from Morning Edition. Isn't it amazing how something as simple as a sound can make us crave a special meal? Wash the grits, wash your meat, fry your meat, put your onion in there. Transport us across the globe. We start in the coastal city of Zarziz, in the southeast, where a fisherman-turned-cafe owner serves small cups of black coffee. Or introduce us to new traditions. Grab a maraca, a drum, a tin can. Whatever you can use to make noise, you better make it. That's the power of the NPR Network, bringing you stories that stay with you beyond the news of the day. This station is an integral part of the network, and so are you. To support journalism that informs and inspires, please take a moment to donate today. Here's how to do it, and thanks. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. I'm in the studio this morning with Amory Sievertson. It's our spring fundraiser here at WBUR, so we're asking you to make a pledge, and here's how. Call 1-800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org and pledge for the journalism that you count on. That's what we're asking you to do today because we rely on you to help us have the financial resources we need to give you the independent quality journalism that you expect. Again, the phone number 800-909-9287. Deb, you know, I feel a little guilty saying this because it's a beautiful morning in Boston. Spring is here. Baseball is back. And yet, you know what? I'm dreaming of faraway lands. Mm. I'm dreaming of (laughs) Italy. I'm dreaming of, you were just talking about London. I'm dreaming Mm. of of a grand trip. And one lucky listener out there is going to win such a trip because we have an incredible sweepstakes offer on the table right now. When you make your gift to WBUR today, today only before 7 o'clock today, as in do it right now today, 
you will be entered to win a trip to anywhere in the mm. world. You get to design your dream vacation. And that's as our thanks uh, for, for being here for us right now. Be here for us and we will send you somewhere. My name is Terry. I'm from Worcester. The number one place on my bucket list is Lebanon because my grandparents came from there. I'm Debbie from Needham, and I've always wanted to visit Alaska in order to see the natural beauty of Denali National Park. My name is Caroline from Cambridge, and the number one place on my bucket list is Egypt. And I've always wanted to go because of the pyramids, ruins, and the incredible history and culture that there is to see there. So whether it's Egypt, Alaska, Lebanon, wherever you'd like to go, you may be able to go if you are the winner of our sweepstakes. But you need to enter that sweepstakes by 7 o'clock tonight. And the way you enter is by making a pledge to WBUR during this spring fundraiser. Pledge and support the news. Do whatever you can. It could be $5 a month. It could be $5,000 a month. Whatever you can do to support the journalism that you count on, we're asking you to to do during this fundraiser because this is how we get the resources to bring you that journalism. So please do your part and make your pledge today and make sure you get in on this sweepstakes before it's over. That's right. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. You can go to WBUR.org. And when you give to WBUR, you really become a hero for the community of people that relies on this radio station. We only exist because other listeners have pitched in. And so if you have yet to do that yourself, if you have yet to support the radio station that supports you, that informs you, that uh, enlightens you, give back right now. The beauty of this is you decide the amount that's right for you. Maybe it's $10 a month. Please make that call. Maybe you can give a little bit more. Maybe you can do $30 a month. Maybe you can make a larger gift of $1,000 or or $2,000. Whatever you can do for WBUR, be there for us right now and you will get entered into that sweepstakes only if you make that call today. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And if you can do $15 a month, if you call right now and make a $15 a month contribution for the news, we'll send you a little thank you gift. It's a one-year subscription to The New Yorker for your $15 a month contribution. Here's the number again, 1-800-909-9287. Thank you. WBUR supporters include Tanglewood and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. A trip to Tanglewood this summer opens a world of possibilities. Tickets on sale at bso.org slash Tanglewood. I'm Morning Edition executive producer Dan Guzman. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.